Доброго вечора, ми з України. You are listening Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host and Livin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring interviews with key people currently on the ground in Ukraine and important academic experts in Slavic studies. I am your host, Anne Levine, reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts for the Pacifica Radio Network. In the next half hour, we will hear from Oleksandra Matvichuk, Kyiv-based human rights lawyer and head of the Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties. Oleksandra earned her law degree from Taras Shevchenko National University of Kyiv and became the first woman to participate in the Ukrainian Emerging Leaders Program of Stanford University. Among her many awards and accomplishments are Ukrainian Woman of Courage Award from the U.S. Embassy, the prestigious Sir Lindebraka Prize for Democracy and Human Rights from the Kingdom of Norway. On June 4, 2021, Matvichuk was nominated to the United Nations Committee Against Torture and made history as Ukraine's first female candidate to the UN treaty body. She ran on a platform to limit violence against women in conflict. She has focused on documentation and prosecution of war crimes. She met with then-Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, in 2014, and advocated for support to help end the Russian war against Ukraine. Matvichuk describes war crimes, human trafficking, and torture. Listener discretion is advised. Alexandra, could you tell us about the Center for Civil Liberties, of which you are the head Center for Civil Liberties is a human rights organization based in Kyiv, established in 2007. The last eight years, we have been documenting war crimes since the Russian aggression in 2014. And also, we are working on democratization of Ukraine. Can you tell us about the war crimes that started in 2014? Since the beginning of the war in 2014, Russia committed a lot of war crimes against civilian population in order to establish and keep control over the occupied territories. So for eight years, we documented different kinds of war crimes. Our organization focused on war crimes such as illegal abduction, torture, sexual violence, killing civilians as well as political motivated prosecutions, illegal detention, fabricated criminal cases, etc. Now, after the large-scale Russian invasion, the number of crimes rapidly increased. Working together with other human rights organizations in one initiative, which is called Tribunal for Putin Initiative, we documented more than 18,000 war crimes. We documented the deliberate selling on residential buildings against churches, hospitals, schools, different kinds of offenses against civilians in occupied territories like murder, torture, rape, abduction. 
Russia uses indiscriminate weapons in the densely populated areas, attacks local humanitarian evacuation corridors, which are isolated by Russian troops, etc. So we can make a conclusion that Russia used a war crimes as a method of warfare, and they deliberately tried to do it in order to break people's resistance and occupy the country by immense pain of civilian population. You said 18,000 cases. Is that right? Yes. How are you able to keep track of and document that number of crimes? We united efforts with several dozens of regional organizations, and we use the same methodology in order to document war crimes and crimes against humanity in each attack of Russian troops. We have three dozen organizations, as well as volunteers who join to this work. Because we managed to build networks, we are able to work on the occupied territories to visit after something happens, like shellings or attacks, and gather testimonies of people and collect other kinds of information. We have an ambitious goal to document each episode of our crimes in the smallest village. How many people do you have right now working on investigating war crimes? A huge number of people. Since the Russian invasion started, we have enormous solidarity among the country and a lot of people try to be useful. And that's why we have a huge interest of people, to volunteers. Have you begun to prosecute any of these cases yet? Not yet, but we closely work with Office of General Prosecutors of Ukraine as well as International Criminal Court. And we provide our information for them when they request some concrete uh, cases or concrete type of information. We cooperate closely with all international organizations for analysis of what's going on in Ukraine. So we are open to cooperate with each international organizations and state authorities to ensure that perpetrators will be held accountable soon or later. Are you working with any organizations in the United States? We cooperate with organizations who work in the field of international humanitarian law, and some of them have American origins, and very grateful because in the United States of America, there were a lot of enthusiasm from legal professionals to be useful in individual capacity, and I received a lot of proposals from American lawyers to join and to help and to assist and to advise, as well as unions who had like a mandate and expertise. The amount of crimes is big and it's impossible to any national legal system to respond to such challenge. So we need to unite our efforts and cooperate with others in order to achieve this goal. Do individual citizens contact you for help? Yes, we got requests from people from the occupied territories because Russia started fake referendums on these territories and people with guns came to their house and demand from them to vote for Russia directly in front of their eyes. And so they ask us what to do because we are afraid of people with guns. People are suffering. And unfortunately, we have no legal response because the legal mechanism is not working. When you talk about these referendums, you're talking about the current ones? I mean this performance which Russian army, in, in order to create impression that Ukrainian citizens in occupied territories to demand Ukrainians join Russia in this referendum. 
it's not a referendum because when you are in war and people with guns demand you make a decision and you're afraid that if you don't fulfill their order, these people will kill you. And this has happened. And Russians intentionally exterminate active local people in the occupied territories, like mayors, journalists, human rights defenders, volunteers, priests, artists. So the international community have already announced that they will never accept any results of referendums because locals and civilized world know that it's a total fake and violence. And we document this also because it will be one more evidence of Russian's atrocities. What do you advise people to do who say, we are being forced at gunpoint to vote for these referendums? What do you tell them? I tell them that, first of all, they have to save their life. And we ask them to provide this information to us in secure ways. Locals are extremely vulnerable between Russian occupiers. They can be subjected to arrest, to abduction, to torture, to sexual violence. For us Ukrainians, human lives matter. And the first goal is to save people there. And then we will find a way to save and liberate people there. In this war, we are fighting not just for Ukrainian territory. We fight for people who live on their territories. We will never left them in Russian's atrocities. Where else have you seen the same things? And also, I heard that Russia is using mechanisms to try to cover up their crimes. Russia continuously denied any crimes they committed. But on the other side, when a lot of foreign journalists and international organizations came to liberated region and see what happened in Izum, Bucha, Matrizhen, and the world was shocked at the level of Russian cruel attitude to locals, Putin provided a medal to army units which was in Bucha. He just made a symbolical order that this atrocities is okay, and I will give you a medal for this. Can you tell us what you found in Izum? Mass burials and abduction and torture civilians is systematic and widespread in other regions as well. We now have to speak not only about war crimes, but about crimes against humanity. Because this territory was under occupation several months, as Russia had the whole responsibility for all human rights violations there. We hear that half a million people have been abducted from Ukraine into Russia. Is that true? Russia reported that they forcibly deported up to two million people. It's very difficult for us to tell about numbers because we are in a war. But what is clear is that we speak about huge numbers of people who were forcibly deported. According to international humanitarian law, Russia obliged to open humanitarian corridors for locals to safely evacuate it from the cities and settlements. But Russia don't provide open evacuation corridors and they tell civilians when they try to escape from occupied cities and settlements. So we speak about situation when people after weeks or even months in bomb shelters without food, electricity, water, etc. have no other choice how to survive but to go to Russia. And they transfer people to Russian territory. So they have no option. 
That's why it's forcible deportation. Where is that huge number of people being taken? Russia is a rather big empire. They have different territories and they send Ukrainians to different regions of Russia, even a very far from regions. It's a deliberate policy, and I hope that this forcible deportation will be taken by International Criminal Court as a priority to investigate, because these crimes can show us that not only the policy of war which have genocidal character, but the crime which go to the top military and top political level of Russian Federation. How can you get these people back to Ukraine? This process started since March. Uh, People tried to uh, evacuate from Russian territory as quickly as possible. I mean those people who have energy. People try to evacuate to the neighbor's country like Finland, Estonia, Lithuania, etc. And a majority of them stay in these countries because for a lot of people there is no way to return because parts of Ukrainian territories are still under occupation by Russians. You are listening to Ukraine 242, an exploration of the events, circumstances, and context of the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. I am your host, Anne Levine, reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts, for the Pacifica Radio Network. We are hearing from Alexandra Matvichuk, human rights lawyer and head of the Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties. In this segment, she describes what she sees as the post-war future in Ukraine. War crimes, human trafficking, and torture are mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. Alexandra, as we know... This war is going to affect Ukraine and Ukrainians for generations to come. Do you have plans laid out for what you will do when the technical end of this war comes? We have no time to wait. If we want a justice, we need today to understand how we will get this justice. What do I mean? This situation in Ukraine is a result of total impunity, which Russian troops enjoyed for decades. Russian regime committed war crimes in Chechnya, in Moldova, in Georgia, in Syria, in Libya, in Mali, and other countries of the world, and they have never been punished for that, not even when they used chemical weapons against civilians in Syria. This led to a situation that Russians started to think that they can do whatever they wanted. And this is dangerous not only for Ukraine, but for the other countries under Russians' interest. Especially because we are speaking not about war between two countries. We are speaking about war between two systems, authoritarianism and democracy. Putin is not afraid of NATO. Putin is afraid of idea of freedom. He started this war in 2014 when the authoritarian regime in Ukraine collapsed and Ukraine obtained a chance to provide a quick democratic transformation. And then the idea of freedom reached to Russian borders. He started this war. 
Putin occupied Crimea. He occupied part of Donetsk and Lugansk oblast and continued this war for eight years. And now we have a large-scale invasion. So we have to break this circle of impunity. And I see a huge gap of accountability because general prosecutors have opened more than 32,000 criminal proceedings. And it's understandable that even the best system in the world couldn't effectively investigate such enormous amount of crimes during the war. And we have a question, who will provide justice for hundreds of thousands of victims of our crimes? In order to achieve it, we promote the idea of creation of international tribunal on war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. We will establish it not only for justice for Ukrainians, but to prevent these atrocities and to save people's lives in other countries, to stop Russia. Because if we will not be able to stop Putin in Ukraine, he will go further. As you said, a lot of people are calling for Russia to be declared a terrorist state. What would that do to help the situation? People can find one of the hundreds of ways how to make democracy and freedom in Ukraine visible. Like, they can organize rally to demand from their government to provide more weapons to Ukraine. They can write to their politicians about Ukraine and to counteract their Russian propaganda. They can help Ukrainian refugees in their country. They can even put a symbolic of yellow and blue ribbon on their wrist in sign of support, they can find one of the hundreds of possible ways. And we really need it because, as I know from my own experience, common people have much greater impact than they even imagine. And mass mobilization of people in different countries can change world history quicker than UN intervention. What would you ask for the rest of the world to do? We need people's solidarity in different countries of the world. Because we need of their governments their proactive position. Uh, yesterday or a day before, I don't remember, Putin announced the general mobilization in Russia. People are mobilized forcibly in different regions. And they plan to recruit 300,000 people to fight in the war against Ukraine. Putin wants to liquidate Ukraine as a state and us as a nation, and we have no choice. We will continue to fight. We will never give up because we are fighting for a freedom in all senses, freedom to be independent, freedom to be Ukrainian, freedom to have our democratic choice, to build our country where rights of everybody are protected, judiciary is independent, government is accountable, and police serve people will. So we are paying a high price for it. And we need several things from democracies all over the world. We need long-range distance weapons in efficient amount because Russians killed unarmed. And we need weapons to stop them and to liberate territories which they have already occupied and terrorize civilians there. Uh, we need economic sanctions which stop the ability of Russian economy to feed this war because they still have a lot of possibilities how to continue business as usual. And we need uh, to put uh, Russia in the list of state sponsors of terrorism because what they do with civilians is, is exactly terrorism. One example, when Russians defeat in Kharkiv region as a revenge, 
they shut their electric power station and the whole Kharkiv was deprived of electricity and water. And the Russian told that they will continue such tactics and we expected very hard winter without gas, without light, without water, without heating on the Russian silence. And last but not the least, we need justice. We need to restore the ability of law to protect people. And in order to achieve it, after this situation when any legal mechanism couldn't stop Russian atrocities, we need to show the rule of law. And justice is a very important way to prove people that, okay, it was that period when nothing worked of law disorder, but we fixed it. And now we hold Russian war criminals accountable. And in order to do it, we need the support of creation of hybrid tribunal on war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. Finally, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you, can you point to one thing or a few things that are the most egregious things that Russian troops have done to Ukrainians? They bring enormous pain to Ukrainians. A lot of people are suffering. A lot of families are separated. A lot of people lost people in their life. So we are like in a huge pain all of our country. Second, Russians try to take our democratic future. They want to return us to the past Soviet Union. And we refuse to live in authoritarian country. We deserve our democratic choice. And second, what Russians bring to Ukrainian territories, they try to take off our future. But now, majority of people in Ukraine start to do something. And people, to express their the best features, ordinary people in Ukraine do unordinary, fantastic things. Like ordinary people help people to survive in war zone. Ordinary people save people in rubble in buildings. Ordinary people try to reach their cities with the humanitarian assistance. So this is a huge wave of solidarity. And I think that a lot of people never even have idea that they can do such things in their life because they simply risk their life for people they have never met before. And this is the story impact. I will never wish any nation to go through the war because it's something unhuman. But now Ukrainians become better than we are. And maybe this is the only one positive impact of this horrible situation. One final question. What is happening to senior citizens, disabled people, handicapped people, people who are ill, people who cannot get up and walk? What is happening to people like that who aren't able to escape or go to a different part of Ukraine, a safer place? Ordinary Ukrainians help them. They neighbors, the emerged new volunteers initiative. Now we all feel that we are the nation who are fighting for freedom and we have to support each other in this fight. 
and we need to help each other to survive. Oleksandra Matvichuk, I am very grateful to you for the work that you're doing and for taking this time to speak to us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. I will be glad to be useful in the future. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Music Plavaya Kacha by the Olga Singers. Our thanks to Oleksandra Matvichuk, human rights attorney and head of the Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties. Editing by Ursula Rudenberg for the Pacifica Network. Recording by Michael Levine. To see pictures of our guests and for more information, go to ukraine242.com. If you wish to send a message of encouragement to the Ukrainian people, please call 510-883-3115 and record your message. It will be translated into Ukrainian and broadcast throughout Ukraine on Kraina FM's 24-station radio network. That number is 510-883-3115. This is Anne Levine. Until next week on Ukraine 242.